Hey, anybody else excited to conclude our Supernatural series? If, you, if this is your first time, I really encourage you to uh, go ahead and, and listen to the previous weeks because they kind of build on each other. Uh, but for the rest of us, uh, we've been going through a series called The Supernatural, really in which we're exploring uh, what is beyond the five senses. You know, is the world just all that we can see, taste, touch, hear, and smell, or is there something beyond? Is there actually, are there influences in our lives that go beyond just the natural senses? Uh, and we figured, man, what a great time to talk about this in our season of Halloween, because uh, things get a little creepy. So we thought, man, let's bring the creep into church, okay? <laughs> just kidding. Um, we did invite you to bring some creepy friends, and I'm actually disappointed you guys didn't do that. I got to meet a bunch of people, and they're really not all that creepy, so uh, better luck next year, church. Uh, but anyway, uh, today we're going to talk about how to actually engage in the supernatural battle that is around us. Because there is a battle. There's a real battle that every one of us face on a day-in, day-out basis, whether you know it or not. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about battles today. Okay, any Lord of the Ring geeks in the house today? Anybody that's a big geek? All right, fantastic. Uh, because periodically my wife and I will watch all three of them in a course of about two weeks, and it's really great. But one of my favorite moments in Lord of the Rings uh, is the battle for Helm's Deep. Anybody else? Like, man, you just get that surge when you start thinking about Battle of Helm's Deep, you know? Oh, man, I'm going to go home and watch them. That's what you're thinking right now. Um, battle of Helm's Deep really is a pivotal moment in the story of Lord of the Rings because... Uh, like Lord Sauron, the, the Dark Lord, the evil guy, the bad dude, like he's unleashed his forces and they have one objective. We want to take out humankind. Now, one of the last remaining stations for uh, humankind is the, the tribe of Rohan. And Rohan knows that they're going to be pursued. They're going to be hunted at this point, and they've got to do something about it. And so the king of Rohan decides, we're going to go take people back to Helm's Deep. That's the keep. Helm's Deep, if you are not watched Lord of the Rings yet, and maybe I'm, this is a spoiler alert, okay? Because we're going to ruin some people's first time with Lord of the Rings today. Um, it is a massive fortress that's been hewn out of rock where their people can go to protect themselves. It's kind of this impenetrable fortress where they can go and protect their entire clan. Well, there's just a couple hundred, just a few hundred dudes that are protecting this thing. And then in the dark of night, you know, you hear the troops arrive and their thundering footsteps getting up to the door. And you know that in cinematic Hollywood, it can't be in the daytime, right? When you get a battle like that, it's got to be at night, you know? And the rain is coming and the thunder's in the background. And you can kind of sense the sense like everybody's freaking out on the inside because there are 300 guys that are looking at 10,000 enemy soldiers bearing right down on them. And in that shake, they're wondering, how do we hold? How do we withstand the attack of the enemy? That's the major question that all of us are going to be wrestling with this today. How do we withstand the attacks of the enemy? What does that look like? We've talked about the reality of that battle uh, in week one, two weeks ago. We talked a little bit about the tactics of the enemy. We're going to get a little bit more into that today. But even more so, we're going to talk about what are the weapons that we have at our arsenal to be able to fight back? What are those weapons that we can use to actually fight back in this? So uh, could we have someone maybe in the back just like turn the lights on just a little bit so maybe you guys can like read your Bibles and not just, you know, not just the glowing Bibles? Uh, we'll get the lights on in just a second. But uh, here's the reality. Whether you have orcs at your front door, my guess is you don't, uh, every one of us understand what it's like to be in the middle of a battle, right? Maybe it's a battle over your finances. You know, you put a little bit too much on the credit card 
and uh, you're, you're wondering at this point, if things start going a little haywire, if the economy gets crazy, if your job gets a little nuts, you've put yourself in a pretty precarious place. And you're not sure that it's actually going to work if things get a little bit crazier. Uh, maybe for some of us in this room, you're battling addiction. You got into something, you dabbled with it a little bit, and it was just a curiosity at first, but then that turned into a habit, and that habit then turned into an addiction. And before you knew it, something got a hold of you, and you're facing that battle of addiction. For some of us, it's the battle of relationships. You know, no matter where you go, you seem to kind of run into a battle of relationships one way or another. Like your marriage might have been going really strong for a while, and then before you knew it, something took hold, and you're now facing a battle there. Maybe it's battle with your friendships or battle with your kids. We all know what it's like to to be in the middle of a battle. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we fight that? What are the tools, what are the resources that we have at our disposal to be able to fight in the way that God has desired us to fight in this battle? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. We've referenced this passage a couple times over the past couple weeks. It's all about spiritual warfare. And here's what I believe for all of us in the room today. I believe that Jesus wants every one of us in this room to be a warrior spiritually. And not just any warrior, but an incredibly powerful warrior. That's your identity, and that's my identity, and that's what he's going to equip us to be as we work through this in Ephesians chapter 6. Okay, so starting in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, this is where we're going to go today. All right, let me read it for you, and then we're going to dive in. Finally... This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the group of uh, Christians in early Ephesus. That's what what this is his audience here, and he's he's telling them this is what it means to actually start fighting here. Okay, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. And I so wish I had like a Roman centurion to just stand right next to me today to show you what this is going to look like. But imagine a Roman centurion in the first century put on his armor, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, it doesn't say if, but when, the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I wish we had a whole bunch of grown men in this room that could just be like, you know, so I'm saying like, let's get some armor on right now. Let's suit up, boys. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me. And whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. All right, what's going on here? Talk about the armor of God. Man, I wish we had some guys in the house today with some armor, you know? I wish we had it, and I think we're going to leave today with some. But we begin this, and I, I, we talk about this every week, because it's so hard for us in the 21st century to get past the word, the devil. You know what I'm saying? 
It says, put on the former armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil. Now, I don't know about you, but like 21st century Western American mindset, like when we hear the word of the devil, we kind of just like, really? Really? Like we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the devil? You know, I'm sure you might have met some people who are like, you know, there's a demon around every bush. Uh, and the reason I couldn't get a parking space at Target is because the devil you know what I'm saying? The reason that the dollar section in Target is not a dollar section in Target anymore, it's like jumped up to $5, that's the devil. You know, politics, like the devil. Like there's, there's some reasons that some people will just immediately go with the devil. And a lot of us in our in like enlightened, in, you know, intellectual 21st century mindset, we think, really? We're going to talk about the devil? So I feel like every week we've got to be able to prove the fact that, yeah, there actually are forces at work in this world that are beyond just our five senses. And they're not such, I mean, there are good forces. Obviously, we believe in a supernatural God. But there's some evil presences out there that actually want you dead. Now, I came across this the other day, and I found this so fascinating. It's a book written by a guy named Andrew Del Banco, who's not a Christian. He's actually, he, he labels himself a secular liberal, but he wrote a book called The Death of Satan fascinating. If you want a kind of an inside look from someone who doesn't believe in any of this stuff, but actually starts seeing that there's something to all of this, it's a really fascinating book to read. This is what he said. He said, a gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources for coping with it. In other words, what he's saying is that there's real evil in this world, but we've actually, we've built a worldview in 21st century America and in the Western world to, that actually discounts a lot of that. And we don't, we don't know what to do with what we're seeing in the world. This is fascinating. Uh, Tim Keller uh, paraphrases a lot of some of this stuff. And so I'm just going to read some of this for you because I found it absolutely fascinating. Uh, and maybe a, a point of conversation for you guys as you engage some people who may not believe some of this. He said, we've, this is what, what he paraphrases Del Banco saying. He says, we've jettisoned in the West the idea of cosmic evil or transcendent evil or supernatural evil. We don't believe in that. In fact, we don't even like to use the word evil. And the reason we don't like to use it, check this out, is because it, it implies value judgments and moral absolutes. We like to just kick all that out. We don't like to deal with that because it makes us really uncomfortable. And so this is what we do instead. We use medical terms. We talk about dysfunction. We talk about pathology. We don't use moral terminology. We use medical terms for it. Maybe some of you understand this. Del Banco essentially is saying, this is what he's saying, uh, as the 20th century has gone on, it's gotten harder and harder to say that a Holocaust, this is what's so fascinating about it, the medical language is really not holding weight here, it's harder and harder to say that Holocaust and ethnic cleansing and serial killing are just bad psychology, bad sociological adjustment. We're witnessing real evil in the world. And we're blaming it on just medical diagnosis. Is it possible that this is actually going beyond what science can deduce? Now, here's what's really fascinating about his book. He actually goes into uh, a book that was written uh, that then turned into a movie uh, starring uh, starring Anthony Hopkins called Silence of the Lambs. Uh, If you've watched it, it's incredibly creepy. Um, But uh, what he does is he, he, he tries to figure out a little bit of why we struggle with supernatural evil. And this is so fascinating to me, but uh, essentially the book and the movie outlines 
uh, a serial killer named Hannibal Lecter and an officer who's charged with trying to interact with this guy and try to, you know, to deal with him, Officer Starling. Uh, and there's a really interesting moment in the movie and in the book where she asks a question when she's about to go interrogate him for the very first time. Um, she asks one of her colleagues, you know, what, this is what she says, what happened to him to make him so twisted that he would go on these serial killings? Now, he overhears what she says in that moment, and this is how he responds, okay? He says, uh, uh, nothing happened to me, Officer Starling. I happened. You can't, like, you can picture Anthony Hopkins saying this really creepy stuff, okay? You can't reduce me to a set of influences. You've given up good and evil for behaviorism, Officer Starling. You have everyone in moral dignity pants. Nothing is ever anybody's fault. But look at me. Can you stand to say that I'm evil? This is what's so fascinating about our culture and our worldview right now because uh, what Del Banco says is that we actually don't have the resources intellectually to be able to answer the monster's question. We haven't been equipped to be able to answer that. And Keller wraps it up and says, as the 20th century has gone on, uh, what we've said 100, 150 years ago, that all evil has natural causes, scientific causes, psychological causes, social causes, that's wearing thin. Because the evil that we're seeing in the world is actually real evil. It's deep evil. And so we have to actually start asking ourselves, what is this? How do we wrap our minds around supernatural evil and what do we do with that? Because as Paul says, our battle is not just against flesh and blood. It's not. It's against the supernatural forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Rulers, powers, authorities. He's saying there's something beyond just the physical presence that we have in the world. Beyond just the natural world, there is something paranormal, something supernatural that we have to deal with. And it's actually raging all around us. And it's desire, it says, is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants you out of the game he wants our church family out of the game. He wants you dead. He wants you ineffective. He wants to divide and conquer. That's his entire plan. And we've got to wrestle with this. He wants to annihilate the entire work of God. So here's the first thing that I want you guys to, if, you, if you're taking notes at all, if you're taking mental notes on this, here's the first point. Ready? A warrior, a spiritual warrior is alert to the battle. Number one, you've got to be alert to the battle. Don't just walk through life as if nothing is happening in the supernatural realm. You've got to be alert. You've got to know that it's happening. You've got to pay attention because it is around us and it is raging. I'm telling you right now, wives in the room, when your husband gets back from work and he's in a bad attitude, yeah, it might be because, you know, he made some poor choices or some, some influences he's letting involved in his head, but it might actually be some forces beyond his control that are starting to mess with him. Husbands in the room, I'm telling you, there is a supernatural evil that wants to mess with your wife. And it happened at the beginning of time in the garden. The serpent messed with Adam's wife, and you know what happened? He let her, he let the serpent do it. If you guys knew that the enemy was out to mess with your wife, what would you want to do? You tell me right now. We're in the middle of a battle. And if we're going to fight him, if we're going to push back on this, we've got to understand, man, what is he after? What's his tactics? What does he want to do? Because once we understand that, now we can fight back, okay? You're a spiritual warrior. You've got to be alert to the battle. You've got to be alert to the battle. And here's what's crazy about it, okay? Satan doesn't just show up at your door and knock on the front door and say, like, hey, guys, it's me. I'm going to mess with you today. 
You know, like we, we, we kind of see it in some of the horror movies where we think, man, unless someone's head is spinning and like green pukes coming out of their face, like it must not be the devil, right? Like we think, man, if I'm, if I'm interacting with supernatural evil, it's got to be really crazy, but it's subtle. Most of the time it's subtle. This is what Paul is telling us here. He says, take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's not saying, take, t- you know, take... Take your stand against the devil's like blatant attacks. He's saying against his schemes. He's tricky. And as we lear- learned in uh, uh, Screw Tape Letters, C.S. Lewis Screw Tape Screwtape Letters is one like higher ranking demon talks to another low ranking demon. He says, our, our entire policy, conceal ourselves. Make sure they don't think that we're actually at work here. It's subtle. It's crafty. It's, it's scheming. It's what he does. So now two things as I think about schemes, and as we kind of review a little bit of what the devil's been all about, what his tactics are, there's two things that really popped out at me as I was praying and thinking about this week. You ready? Here are the top two things that Satan tries to do. Because his name, there's two names that, that are associated with him throughout scripture. It's the devil and Satan, right? When you identify what those two words in the original language Greek actually mean, it means slanderer and deceiver. He tells you half-truths to buy you into thinking the wrong things so that you behave the wrong way. That's what he does. He tells you half-truths. He tells you lies. tries to get in your head to make you think and do things you're not supposed to do. And here's really primarily what he does. There's two tactics. He attacks you through temptation and through accusation. Temptation, accusation. That's what he's all about. Let me, let me tell you exactly how this works. You ready? Temptation... What he does is he tries to conceal, he tries to hide, he tries to work in the dark to get you to not believe in a certain aspect of who God is. When he tempts you, what he wants to do is he wants to, to, he wants to hide the holiness of God. That's what he tries to do. He tries to hide it. And, it's, and this, this is how it works. You ready? When you elevate your view of self and you downplay the holiness of God, essentially what you're doing is you're looking at these things you shouldn't be thinking about, you shouldn't be doing, and you're saying, that's oh, not that bad. It's not that bad. It's really not that big of a deal. And you've missed the point that, no, it is a big deal. Because our God is a holy God. You ready? Uh, Thomas Brooks, who is a 17th century Puritan preacher, he wrote uh, this really massive book called The Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Uh, pretty awesome title. They had way better titles back in the 17th century than we do here in the 21st century. It's so great. Um, he, he says there's four things. Like, actually, I think he outlines 70 of them in his book, but I'm just going to give you four of them now um, that, that kind of show us how temptation works and hiding the holiness of God, elevating our view of self, and getting us to believe it's really not that bad. It's really not that bad. Number one, he shows us the bait and hides the hook. This is what Satan does. He shows us the bait, hides the hook. He shows us short-term pleasures and hides the long-term misery. This is, this is really how it works for us. You're surfing on the internet with no purpose in mind. And in that moment, you come across an image, and you think, oh, that's kind of enticing. You kind of bring that cursor over that image. And you're just like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal, right? It's gonna, I'm just curious. Click. And before you know it, you've gone down a path that has started to rob your soul, and you bought into short-term pleasures that's going to lead to long-term misery. You know, my, my wife was talking about that dollar section at Target this week. She's so mad at that. She used to go there and like, you know, that was just such a beautiful moment every time she'd go to Target because she could just pick up a really cute little gift for each one of the girls for just a dollar. And she goes there and like, oh man, they showed the bait and they, they hid the hook. You know, they, now there's this hook, you got to pay 15 bucks for these stupid little things. Anyway, um, look, 
he hides the hook because he wants you to buy into short-term pleasures that's going to lead you down nasty places. I mean, this is what we do when we lie, when we say like little half-lies around, because in that moment we think, man, it's better if people don't know the full truth. I'm just going to lie just a little bit, and it actually starts leading to an unraveling on the inside of us that's going to lead to long-term misery. So he shows the bait, he hides the hook. The second one is we rationalize sin as virtue. I'm not greedy. I'm just thrifty. You know? I'm not greedy, I'm just trivia. I'm not really gossipy, I'm just concerned, you know? Really want to know how those people are doing and how that person's doing with that person and that person and that person and that person. I'm just, I'm concerned. I'm not gossipy. I'm not an alcoholic, I'm just sociable, right? We justify these things. Number three, we overstress the mercy of God. Man, God is such a good God, he's going to let me off the hook. He'll give me some mercy. He's so good that, you know, if I get into this a little bit, it's not a big deal. He's a merciful God. Number four, making us bitter over suffering. You wouldn't believe how much I suffered this week. I deserve this. Anybody been there? Like you had a rough week, and at the end of that week, you're just like, you're sitting there with a giant thing of ice cream. I deserve this, you know? And it's a big thing of chocolate ice cream, and you went through the entire pint of it because <laughs> you're a man, all right? Anyway, like there's, there's parts of us that on the inside, we're like, man, it's been hard, and I deserve this. And in that moment, it's actually leading you down paths that are not helpful. That's how the enemy works. He tries to get us to buy into temptation to think and to do things that are not healthy. And we've got to be alert to the battle. You're a warrior. God wants you alert to the battle. You've got to be alert to the battle. Know that it's happening. Know that temptation is one of the tactics he uses. He's going to tempt you every day, every week. Now, not the devil himself. One thing that you've got to understand is that the devil's not all present. Like, he's not omnipresent like God is. Sometimes we think he's like these, you know, equal, equal and opposite forces like, you know, Star Wars. It's not that way, okay? He's not a force that's everywhere at all times. He can only be at one place at one time, but he sends his minions, all the people that are, you know, all these angels that are underneath him to go do his work, and, and they're all on the same page. We're going to tempt and we're going to accuse. That's what we do. Now, this is what accusation is. Ready? Accusation is not hiding the holiness of God. Accusation is hiding the love of God. This is crazy. It, it tends to downplay yourself and to think, I'm the worst. Anybody else like a self-loather? Like you're really good at beating yourself up? And like, you know, in this moment, you probably don't even want to raise your hand, but we got some people in the room I know that love to beat themselves up, okay? Uh, I'm just going to confess. I'm one of them, okay? Here's what he tries to do in an accusation. He tries to get you to look more at your sin than your Savior. Oh, wow, I really blew it this week. I can't believe I did that. Oh my gosh. Like, I said that? I'm the worst. I must be the worst. I must be the worst. And the more you start internalizing and reflecting and looking at self and self and self, you've got, before you know it, you've, you've missed the Savior. You've missed entirely what He's all about and what He's done for you. And the enemy has you exactly where he wants. Because the more you internalize, the more he takes you out of the game. You know what I'm saying? When you start, all, you, all you're doing is looking at self, man, and you're looking in that mirror, like you have missed what God wants you to do in your life and in the lives around you. Number two, you obsess over past sins that cause damage that can't be undone. I did that in the past. It had repercussions, and that is going to forever identify me. I'll never get past that. I'm awful, I'm awful, I'm awful, I'm awful. Number three, to think trouble we're experiencing is because God's punishing me. You ever thought that? 
man, things are really hard right now. I'm struggling right now. And that must be because God's punishing me. I'm the worst. My sin is so bad. God has to lead me down a path where I'm punished over and over and over. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. Number four, to think that real Christians don't struggle. Anybody ever been there? Real Christians don't struggle. And so I'm going through struggle right now. Something's wrong with me. What if, follow me on this question, okay? Just follow me. What if the problem's not you? What if you're experiencing some hard times right now just because this world is broken? And what if Jesus died for you because he loves you infinitely? So what? We've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. But in this moment right now, I want you to know there is no way that anyone can separate you from the incredible love of God. Nothing. He's not out to punish you. He's not like tapping his foot like, man, will this person ever shape up? That's not our God. Satan tempts us and he accuses us. That's what he does over and over and over. I learned this this week. Um, Satan can't actually make you bad. But he can tempt and he can accuse to make you think and do things that are harmful to you and to other people. Um, Apparently, I didn't know this, but when you sing and you get close to a piano, you can actually start vibrating one of the keys on the piano. Not one of the, like, the white keys, but one of the strings on the inside. Like, if you sing, one of those notes will actually start matching the, the, um, uh, what is it, the vibrancy? The, yeah, the resonance, right, one of those things <laughs> starts, starts moving, okay? When you're singing and you get close to it, one of those strings starts doing that. This is what Satan does. He knows the frequency that you're on. And what he starts doing is he starts whispering those temptations and those accusations that he knows you're going to start buying. And before you know it, he's starting to do this to your strings and he's taking you out of the game. That's what he does. In James uh, 1, 14 through 15, it says this, but, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Satan just plays with what's already inside of you. Some of these lies that you've bought into, some of these accusations that you've bought into, he plays with that. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, grown it gives birth to death. That's how it works. So if he's messing with you, what do we do about that? Well, that's what Paul comes in and says, look, guys, we got to suit up. We got to suit up because the battle is raging around us right now. We got to start putting on some armor because the battle's real and I want you to be strong. I don't want you to just survive. I don't want you to just make it out of Helm's Deep. I actually want you to, to take the enemy down. And I want you to be standing at the end of the Battle of Helm's Deep with Gandalf as the rays of sun are, are blasting over the hillside and the, the rangers and all like the, the horses are coming down and they just wipe everyone out. Can I get any man on that one? Let's go. You know what I'm saying? Like you got to suit up, guys. This is what Paul's saying. Now, let me ask you a question before we suit up on this. When do you put your armor on? When do you put it on? Is it during the battle? Look, when you're at the, the keep there on Helm's Deep and you start seeing some flaming arrows that Paul's talking about here coming over the wall and you got nothing on at that point, like, you, you can't just be like, oh, geez, I, I, man, I left my shield somewhere. Where'd my breastplate go? Like, in that moment, you're defenseless. And it's a bad place to be, okay? Here's point number two. A warrior is prepared for the battle. A warrior is prepared for the battle. 
You're not just alert to the battle, you're prepared for the battle. And I'll tell you what, when you are not prepared, you are defenseless. And when you're defenseless, the only thing that you can do in that moment is survive and hope to survive. But but God doesn't want you defenseless. He wants you full of defense and with an armor that's going to help you. Let me give you a window into how bad it can be when you are not prepared, okay? Uh, there was a moment early on when I had three kids uh, and Charity was about to go out. I was like, Charity, you need to get some time for charity time because, like, you know, you just, you're, you're working so hard with the kids. I just want to give you some freedom to go out and have some charity time. And she's like, you, you sure? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I got this. And she's like, you really sure? And I'm like, uh, yeah, absolutely. Just go. I got this. It's going to be great. It's going to be great, okay? And so she's like, okay. And, you know, she's kind of quivering as she's walking out of the door because she's not quite sure. And I'm like, all full of confidence, okay? And in that moment, the sun is shining, right? The kids are nice, like everything's going great. And I'm like, how can we lose? How can we lose? And so Charity's off and I'm like, all right, kids, you want to go to the park? And they're like, yeah. So we're like, sweet, get in the car, let's go. And we're, you know, get them all buckled in. It's going to be awesome. We're on our way to the park. And then halfway on the trip, uh, my girl says, hey, dad, did you bring the diaper bag? Uh Uh-oh. You know, you get that, like, sinking feeling, like, no, it's going to be okay. We're going we're to make it this time. We don't need the diaper bag. It's going to be fine. You know, hey, Daddy, did you bring my water bottle? Uh, you, know, you don't need water. Your mom overhydrates you, okay? She's a water Nazi, and that's, like, self-proclaimed. She, she is, for real. I've never drinking more water than, than being married to her. Anyway, we get to the park, and things are great for a little while. The sun is shining. It's awesome. They're playing on the swings, and then someone stumbles and, like, lands in a puddle of water, and they're like, no! They're like flipping out, and I have no change of clothes for them. Absolutely none. Then someone wets their pants. I've got nothing for them. You know, and then some kid's screaming because some kid hit them. And like, and I'm, Daddy, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. And before you know it, all hell is broke loose out on the playground, okay? And I'm thinking to myself, man, if that happened right now, and I didn't like bring the diaper back, for sure, Caleb would have pooped up the back because he's really great at that. And we would have, like, everything would have been horrific. And I'm telling you right now, if you are unprepared for the battle, it's not going to go well right? If you're unprepared, it's not going to go well. You don't put the armor on during the battle. You put it on right now before the battle starts. And for some of us in this room, like things are good. Things are good. And you're thinking, man, I might show up at church a couple times. You know, I might, I might read my Bible occasionally. Jesus is saying right now, right now is the time for you to suit up. Because if times are good right now, Just gear up because times are going to get tough at some point. Jesus said when you face trials of many kinds. It's not if, it's when. If you're in a good season right now, you know that something bad is going to... Look, we're not a doom and gloom church, but look, life is hard, guys. We suffer in this world. And if you're going through a nice season right now, man, praise God. But now's not a time to just be casual and coast. Now's the time to dig in. And start building that armor. Build that armor. Because a warrior is prepared. And for some of us in this room, you don't have much of a prayer life. You don't have much of a life of digging into the Word of God on a daily basis. You don't have much of a a life where you're actually doing community with other people and you've got battle buddies that are doing life with you who know where you're weak and are holding you up. They've got arms around you and they're like, we're going to do this together Some of us don't have that right now. And I'm telling you right now, like, things might be okay right now, but the flaming arrows are going to come at some point, and right now is the time to suit up. A warrior is prepared. A warrior is prepared. You can't fortify the soul when the battle is raging. You can only try to survive the night. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to just survive. 
I want to thrive. I want to be on that horse that's running out of the castle at the end of Helm's Deep waiting for Gandalf to appear because I've stood my ground. You know what I'm saying? All right, so how do you gear up, all right? Here's where it gets awesome. He starts mentioning all sorts of different armor pieces and weapons that we can use as Christians, okay? This is what he uses. He he talks about the belt of truth. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness. He talks about feet fitted with the gospel uh, of peace. He talks about the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit and all these things. We're going to get into this really briefly, but basically what these things do, they, they break out into two categories. One of two categories. There's a whole bunch of armor here that's used for defense, and then there's a couple used for offense, all right? We got to understand which one goes to which, all right? All right, belt of truth. Now, if you're like me, like, you know, like big utility belt, that's what we're thinking like at this point. What's this, what is this belt of truth? Journey with me back to the first century for a second because we're going to get a better understanding of what this actually looks like when we go back there. It wasn't just a belt that went on the outside of your clothes. It was actually more attached, more associated with your, uh, your undergarments, okay? It actually held everything together. It was made out of leather and it went underneath all of your armor. It was the basis for which everything else that you put on you uh, remained intact and held together. It was where your sword strapped in. It was where your ble- breastplate kind of checked in. It, it was where everything really had its place. And what he's saying is, in the the belt of truth, we have to operate full of truth. This is the underlying garment that ought to categorize everything that we do. And the question is, do you know the Word of God? Do you know truth? Have you wrapped it around your mind and memorized it and internalized it so deep that everything that you do starts responding out of truth and not just out of emotion? Is it your, <laughs> it's kind of weird, is it your underwear, all right? Like that's essentially what it is. Is it holding everything together? And not only the word of God, but are you, like do you, do you know this and do you live it? Because truth isn't just information, it's also a way of life, right? And some of us in this room, like you operate with half-truths. You don't speak the whole truth all the time. You're not as honest as you should be because you think that those half-truths that you tell people about yourself and about your life, they're actually going to help you get further in life. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not that. The underlying foundation for everything in life, if you want to fight this battle well, is truth. It's truth. It's God's word. Do you understand that? Do you know it? Do you live it? Do you know that the number one way uh, for our government to train people on counterfeit money is not by looking at the counterfeit money and studying that? What do they do? They study the authentic dollar. They study authentic currency, and they know it so well that when they spot a counterfeit, they know it right away. This is how we ought to be, guys. We ought to know God's word so well that when the counterfeit comes, we understand it. We know it. And it's intuition, it's reflexes that kick in at this point. We know how to fight this. We know how to fight this. Now, it's the breastplate of righteousness. Well, what's the breastplate of righteousness? Breastplate was this massive shield that went around your chest and it went around your back. It was all the way around. And it was there to protect your vitals. And it went with the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation was this like bronze thing that you put over your head. I'm telling you right now, if you're in the battle and you get hit in the arm, are you going to survive? Yeah, you might survive. If you get hit in the leg, are you going to survive? Yeah, you might survive. If you get hit right here or right here, are you going to survive? Not a chance, right? He's saying protect your vitals. 
Protect your heart, protect your mind. Because when you start losing ground in your heart and your mind, that's when you start really losing ground. That's when you start losing ground. Now, what is righteousness? The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is about right living. It's about being in a right relationship with God. It's positional righteousness with God, meaning a right standing with God where we're relying on Jesus and what he's done for us, his death and his resurrection to make us holy in front of God, to erase all of our sin, to cleanse us. And if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, that's your first step in righteousness. And saying, Jesus, I want to trust you for what you've done. I want that positional righteousness. But then there's this second step of situational righteousness in which we're asked on a day in, moment by moment basis to be right with our Heavenly Father and with the people around us. And right now, man, there might be some people in your life where you're not, you don't want to be right. You don't want to be made right with them. You just, you want to be right. You know, there's a difference between being right and being made right with someone else. You know what I'm saying? Like, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but when you go into a battle, in, in, into some sort of a conflict with someone else, and you have, you've got your list of their wrongs, you've got arguments in your head of where you're going to win and how you're going to decisively kill them in that, in that moment, you've already lost the battle, right? Husbands, you know this in the room, and if you don't, you ought to. <laughs> All right? I'm saying, look, if you get into that conflict moment with your wife, and you go in guns ablaze, and like, this is why you're wrong, woman, I'm telling you, you've already lost that battle. You've already lost that battle. You might as well be sleeping on the couch that night, all right? Look, just like, if you don't believe me, just try it, okay? Don't, please don't do that. That's going to be horrible for you. Uh, situational righteousness of God is asking every one of us in this moment, be right with the people around you. Be right with God. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't just harm other people. Get right with them. Get right with them. That's the breastplate of righteousness. And when you're not operating that way. When you don't have your belt on, when you don't got your breastplate on, you make yourself vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. It's like you're taking your shield off in that moment, your breastplate, and you're handing the enemy a flaming arrow. Helmet of salvation. In Romans chapter 1, I think, I think sometimes in the evangelical church we just assume that if we attack behavior we're going to fix a lot of problems. You know, and so you, you're going to hear this in a lot of churches. They, they fixate on certain problems, you know, like sexual sin or abortion or, you know, certain things. Like they'll fixate on behavior sometimes. And yes, some of that stuff is deeply wrong, but that's not the way to solving some of that. Romans chapter 1 says there is a flow and a pattern that leads us to wrong behavior. And where does it start? It says that people didn't glorify God in their mind, and so what happened was when they had wrong thinking, God then handed them over to sinful desires. So it travels from the, from the head, from wrong thinking, down to wrong desires, down into the heart. And when you've traveled and, and, and gone over the, the, um, over the ledge of wrong desires, man, once your desires have taken, you know, you, you're going to start behaving the wrong way. So it's thinking to desires to wrong behavior. That's where it is. And so that's when Paul says, man, put on the helmet, he's saying, get thinking right. Think right. You've got to start training your mind to think the right things. And this is, the, I think, one of the most powerful things for me as I was working through this is like, you've, we've got to be able to speak the truth of the gospel over our lives on a daily basis. Like, do you know how loved you are? If you knew how loved you were, you'd rest in his salvation for you. And when we don't put on that helmet of salvation and we're not resting in him saving us completely, you know what happens? 
man, we show up to our workplace and we're fighting. You know what I mean? I've got to overwork in order to justify my existence. I'm saving myself in that moment. I've got to work on my body image and how I appear to other people because once I have their approval, then I've, I've received some sort of salvation. I've worked that out. You know, I mean, if I can just have enough stuff, that's going to be enough security for me and I'm going to be, I'm going to be saved in that moment. We assume the wrong things when we don't put on the, the helmet of salvation. Jesus has saved you completely. You don't need to fight for your identity or for your justification anymore. He's done that for you. I'm telling you, when you start speaking that over your life on a day-in, day-out basis, it changes things. Changes things. Changes the way that you interact with people. We're going to fly through the rest of this, okay? The shield of faith. Uh, actually, before we get into the shield of faith, let's, let's talk about the gospel of peace. Your feet fitted with the gospel of peace. And back in the first century, you had uh, certain sandals that you'd put on. And for a war, they'd be sturdy enough for you to be able to take long distances and to be able to stand your ground to have good footing as you're about to fight somebody. Like, they were sturdy enough, but they were also light enough so that you could be quick. You know, you could race around and you could try to fight people, okay? And Jesus is saying, when you embody yourself with the gospel of peace, when you understand what Jesus has done for you, that he didn't come, uh, I mean, he didn't, he didn't just stay in heaven in the comfort zone there. He actually risked everything and became deeply uncomfortable for us so that he could reconcile us. In that moment, your feet are going to be fitted with the gospel of peace. You're going to be looking to make peace with the people around you. And did you know that in the relationships that you have in your marriage and with your kids, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, God has called us to live at peace? In fact, in Romans it says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. And when your feet are fitted with that, you're going to be full of defense. You're going to, you're going to withstand the attacks of the enemy. It's going to be powerful. But when you start taking those shoes off and you're not, you're not interested in living at peace anymore, you lay yourself wide open for temptation and accusation. Wide open. We've got to be people of peace. Shield of faith. It was this massive two feet by four feet shield that was made of double layers of wood, okay? And not only that, it was soaked in, in water. Really like deeply soaked in water so the wood was super soaked so that when flaming arrows with pitch around them hit the, the shield, it wouldn't just burst into flames all at once. It was a big shield that covered the entire body. And this is what faith does. Faith is trusting, that's the essence of what faith is, it's trusting in Jesus to do for you what you can't do for yourself. Trusting him. It's leaning into him. It's learning to entrust everything in your life. Learning to trust your social life, your financial life. Learning to trust your, uh, your serving in the community. I mean, every step that you have, it's learning to trust everything about your life over to the one who alone has the power to save you. Some of us in this room, you got the gift of faith. And so, there are going to be some people who look at you and say, that's just blind optimism. I'm asking you right now, like, you need to step forward in faith and you need to show us what it means to trust God even when things go dark. That is a gift to our church. We need to trust. We need to exercise that trust. Now, here's the crazy thing. The sword of the Spirit and prayer, we're going to end on these two. These are our offensive tools, Okay. When you are equipped with your feet, with the breastplate, with the helmet, with this buckle, and all this, like, you are fully defended at, at that point. And when any one of those things are off, you're vulnerable to temptation and accusation. So you've got to clothe yourself in all those different things. But do you know what? You're not just a defender. You're on offense. And Jesus has equipped every one of us to play offense. Do you know how Jesus played offense when Satan tempted him? We looked at it last week. How did he do it? What did he use? 
He used the word. He fought back understanding what the Bible has to say. Every single time Satan accused him and tempted him, what did he do? He said, it is written. It's written. Guys, it's going to be like beating a dead horse today. Do you know the word of God? My huge invitation for every one of you today is that you've got to be in this thing on a daily basis. Daily. Don't miss it. You've got to be reading your Bible on a daily basis. You've got to be praying on a daily basis because these are the tools to disarm the enemy. Why, why have people tried to discredit the Bible and say that it's, it's a human thing that's, that's meant to advance all sorts of human agendas? You know, you can't trust it. It's not reliable. I mean, think about how many times it's been rewritten and rewritten and rewritten and rewritten. Why do they do that? Enemy's not stupid. He knows that it's the primary weapon we have to disarm him. And so of course he's going to try to throw it into disrepute. Of course he's going to do that. This is your primary weapon. And I'm telling you, with this and prayer in hand, you are a powerful, you are a powerful warrior. You're a powerful warrior. In fact, the early church in Acts chapter 4, they were experiencing all sorts of pushback and leaders that were saying, don't you dare teach in the name of Jesus again or bad things are going to happen. What did they do? They went into a closet together with their entire community and they prayed and they prayed, God, hear the attacks that are happening right now. Let, I mean, be aware of all that. But what did they pray? They said, God, let us be bold. Let us be bold and enable us to continue to speak this in a way that's going to make a difference in other people's lives. And what happened? Their entire room was shaken, and they were preaching the word boldly from that moment on. And when you preach the word of God, when you preach the message of the gospel of peace, the enemy runs every time. Because we're not playing on equal turf here. He's already defeated. But the battle is for the human heart. And so the question for all of us today is, are you alert to the battle? Are you alert? Do you understand what's happening? Are you prepared? Have you equipped yourself with all of these different things to get into these spiritual disciplines that make you a warrior and doesn't leave you with the diaper bag at home wondering what in the world am I going to do with a whole bunch of soiled kids? But you're equipped and you're ready and you're trained and your time, your calendar, your resources, it reflects the fact that the word of God has become your sword and you're disarming enemies left and right guys I don't know about you but I want to be with Gandalf racing down that hill I don't want to be caught off guard I don't want to be caught unawares and when those flaming arrows come at me I want that sword and that shield hanging right here and saying bring it on bring it on because I'm ready